This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Nerdly on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. It is indeed James Golden with you this afternoon. Welcome, New York. Welcome, uh, Connecticut. Welcome, Pennsylvania. Welcome, New Jersey. And all surrounding areas. If you'd like to be part of today's program, 800-848-WABC is the number to call. That's 800 800- 848-WABC, numerically expressed, 800-848-9222, as we kick off another, another excursion into all that is excellent. The mayor of New York City, Eric Adams, I hate to be the voice of negativity, I think, Mr. Mayor, you had better come to grips with what's going on in this city very quickly. Otherwise, your mayoralty is going to be a utter disaster that you will not recover from. The idea that you laid out yesterday, day before, that it's just a matter of fear and a perception of fear on the subways is wrong. New York City subway crime is up 65%. When you have innocent human beings standing on a subway platform and then having themselves thrown onto the tracks by mentally deranged people and killed, that is not a perception, it is a reality. When you have the robberies that go on, there's a picture today in one of the papers of people standing behind the, the turnstiles. And what they're doing is just waiting until their train approaches, then going through so that they don't have to stand on the platform. There is, yes, there is fear. It is not just a perception of fear. But there's something deeper that is going on here that deserves to be not only discussed, but is begging to be addressed, and not just by Mayor Adams, not just by New York politicians, This is an issue that goes beyond Democrats, goes beyond Republicans. It goes to the heart of what is behind so many of the bizarre episodes that we're seeing in our society at large. There's a plea from Josette Simon. Josette Simon is the sister of the man known as Simon Marshall, 
who has admitted to this horrible Times Square murder, pushing this woman on the subway tracks. And some of the quotes that his sister has told the New York Post are absolutely heartbreaking. She is saying that her brother was in severe need of mental mental help and has been for a long time. She says she remembers begging one of the hospitals that he was at, please let him stay, because once he's out, he doesn't want to take his medication. And it was the medication that kept him going. The New York Post says New York City's mental health system, perhaps the entire nation's, is broken. Time and time again, it releases to the streets people who are danger, at least to themselves, and tragically often to innocent lives, like Miss Go, the woman that was killed. Please, even pleas from family members like Josette Simon prove futile, as the system doesn't even use the tools available, such as Kendra's Law, to mandate treatment. His sister crying, there's nothing I could do. They let him out in the street. People who saw him know he's crazy. My brother has been sick for so long. Diagnosed with schizophrenia decades ago, he was taken in by another sister. She had to call the after their mother died. She had to call the police on him a few times. He went downhill. He's been in and out of mental hospitals for 20 years. He did state prison time after robbery, attempted robbery convictions. Get him some help. I'm not saying let him out. Get him some help. Now, anecdotally, and I know that anecdotal anecdotal stories only count for so much, folks. I know that. But any of you that have watched these prison shows, these shows about what life is like behind bars, I'm sure you're left with, if you've watched enough hours of them, you're left with a few things. Number one, you see the number, the numbers of people that are in there that have, in common parlance, as this woman said about her brother, he's crazy. But you see it. You see people there who are mentally deranged. They are mentally ill. And these prisons, our our nation's prisons, serve as holding cells now for the mentally ill. They do crimes instead of being uh, assigned or attached to a place where they can get help for their severe mental illness. They're sent to prison. They're sent to jails. And when their terms are up, they're released again. And they get meds while they're in jail sometimes, and sometimes the meds work, sometimes there's counseling, sometimes there's not. And that's that. They're released back into the streets. There was the story I mentioned earlier today of New Yorkers hiding behind the turnstiles until the train comes because the other part of the story was that there was some psycho, and I I used the term not meaning to be pejorative, but just descriptive, some psycho screaming and yelling, and these people are 
of course, after what's happened, afraid that if they're on that platform, left alone with these people that are obviously in need of some kind of help, they might be the next victim. You know, <clears throat> New York Governor Carey, it was under Governor Carey that New York's mental hospitals, many of them were shut down and people were thrown into the streets. And New York has never recovered from that. We, it's not just New York. This is not just a failure of Democrat or liberal politicians and policies. This is not just a failure of politics. This is a failure of basic humanity. For whatever reason, in America today, we have hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people who are in severe mental distress. We have, at the same time, some of the most advanced drugs and psychiatric care and psychiatric therapies available to help people. But there's a disconnect. People that are mentally ill are not getting the help that they need. They are not being required to be removed from society. And I do not know all of the reasons why. Perhaps some of those of you in the mental health industry will call and let us know. But clearly... Ladies and gentlemen, clearly, there is a need for us as a society, if we are going to be a healthy society, to deal with the mentally ill among us. And failure to do so is going to continue to result in this kind of catastrophic criminal behavior that we see on parade in many segments of our society. You know, those of us who were raised with a moral compass are stunned sometimes at what we see happening in our society today. We're stunned at the people that prey on children. We're stunned at the people that seem to prey on the elderly. There was another case, not it was in Los Angeles, another elderly woman died sucker-punched by somebody on the street out there. And we see these things every day. Those of us with the moral compass are stunned by the behaviors we see, the perverse behaviors that are now on parade throughout society. And by the way, I think a lot of these perversions are being aided and abetted by media programming coming out of Hollywood that shows the most debased, the most perverted storylines that are meant to titillate people. Uh, we, if we're going to have a healthy society, we are going to have to come to terms with the mental health issues that are plaguing our society right now. And this is not an inexpensive thing to deal with. It is going to require a serious economic commitment. And it is also going to require a serious legal commitment. 
so that people who do present a threat to themselves and others are not allowed to circulate freely in society. It has to be done if we are ever to be a safe and secure society. Now, it is Tuesday. When we get back for the break, this is what millions of people around the world are looking forward to. Oh, I wish millions. Hundreds of thousands get to hear from Mark Stein today, and I'm looking forward to it as well. And uh, also later today, we're going to play a little segment from a very first podcast series that I've started called On the Border. So we've got a lot to do. Your telephone calls included 848-WABC. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, with you, and we are coming right back. Oh knows politics. And so much more. A true connection to real New York on 77 WABC. Ah, WABC Talk Radio 77. Luther. Luther Vandross brings us back. Happiness really means Mark Stein is on your radio. And here he is, America's undocumented anchorman, international star of stage and screen, Mark Stein. Happy Tuesday, Mark. Happy Tuesday. I don't think Luther Vandross really thought that happiness means Mark Stein. I think you're extending that a little further than the song can be taken. And I don't think Lu- I don't think that was what was in Luther's mind as he was singing so beautifully there. Oh goodness, Mark. Oh, by the way, Mark, before we even start with all the stuff we I had lined up to ask you about, can you explain something to me please? Cuz I don't know the answer to this. Why is Harry of Harry and Meghan suing the Brits? Um, uh, what the hell, Mark? What the hell is going on over there? Well, it's very. Co- it's to do with his security, and I mean, actually, one of the things I quite like the the last time my daughter and I uh, saw the Queen, which was in in Glasgow. Huge crowds everywhere, uh, but she just had a police car front and back. She basically had, uh, well, no, actually, it was just one police car, and then it was like her ladies-in-waiting behind her. So she she's not like Biden with that 88-car motorcade that he had when he was in Rome a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the <laughs> Queen just has one car front and back, and she's like walking around, thousands of people, and uh, and she's got uh, basically a constable and then a, uh, a sort of plain clothes detective as well. That's all she's got, the Queen. And, and so Harry and Meghan are annoyed that they want to come back to Britain, but uh, they, there's an argument about whether they are entitled to security. And Harry's thing is we need security because everybody, for some mysterious reason we can't figure out, everybody hates us. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and and honestly, if you go down, there's no amount of security is going to be enough. <laughs> yeah, so he, he should fry in all his buddies, his so-called buddies from Netflix, 
uh, or whatever it is, and uh, they could provide his security. Uh, Harry would never have done. Harry was this beery rugby playing uh, military guy who would never, <laughs> no, who would never have had any truck with this. The whole thing about. Uh, these guys is they travel light when it comes to security. Now he's living in California. He's seeing that Biden's got an 88 car motorcade. And he's thinking, well, if Biden gets 88 cars, I should at least get 73 for me and Megan. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, it's not really... <laughs> It's a, it's a complete waste of time. Uh, the only security detail he needs is from her. And if he'd, had, <laughs> if, he'd had a, if he'd had a security detail from her, he wouldn't be in this mess. Now, okay, so you've got, and by the way, uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's coming out. I'm fascinated by the royals. I'm sorry. <laughs> So no, you've, got, you've you've always had that though. Yeah, I know it's just I just can't stand it, but I am I am fascinated by these people. So so now Andrew has been thrown to the wolves. It's just like I've never seen this before, Mark. This is amazing. It's like okay, you're not an HMH or whatever it is. You're just a POS, <laughs> and get the hell out. You're a private citizen. We don't care if you go broke. You shouldn't have been screwing that girl. Leave us alone or whatever it is. What's going to happen to this guy? Well, he's in he's in a lot of trouble just because he's in an American courtroom. And I can tell you, <laughs> if you're, I'm in an American courtroom, I'm going to trial. I think it's in June or July. And basically... Is this the hockey stick thing yeah. round like 59? Yeah, it's like after, after whatever it is, 10, 12 years, it's finally going to trial. And you suddenly think, oh, my God, I'm a snooty, unlikable foreigner <laughs> up against a jury of... 12 people in Washington, D.C. And that's the situation that he's in. He's on an absolute hiding to nothing. Uh, who, who's, he's, he's a Duke of York on trial in New York, which is not the York he's Duke of. So it's going to go super badly for him. And basically the Queen, uh, as I understand it, the Queen uh, took him aside personally and uh, and told him, because uh, he's like Colonel-in-Chief of the Fusiliers of Canada and all these regiments all over the, all over the British Commonwealth. And, uh, and she brought him into the room. She said, hand him over right now. Uh, you're off. You're, you're, you're off the case. Because she's had complaints from uh, soldiers of the Queen in England and Scotland and Canada and New Zealand who said, we don't want to be associated with this guy. Quite rightly. He destroyed himself. And this is the uh, final confirmation of it. So let me get this straight. Over there, they're tying their panties up in a wad over all this stuff. Meanwhile, Bill Clinton has this picture of him in a dress and, and, and heels that used to sit up in the Epstein layer, one of the Epstein layer. Bill yeah. Clinton's still flitting around like he's Mr. Big, and yeah. nothing happens to our guys. Yeah, now you're now you're getting it, James, <laughs> because if you notice, the only two people like Jeffrey Epstein, I mean, uh, being on standby for the Lolita Express to go to that pedophile island they all go to. I mean, it was very hard getting a book here. It's not it's not like 
Delta or Northwest or Continental or Pan American or TWA, where you can have the whole cabin to yourself. To get on the Lolita Express, it was a very big waiting list, and uh, Bill Clinton was on there, and George Mitchell, the... uh, former senator from Maine, and Bill Richardson, the former governor of New Mexico. So there's all these big-shot Americans flying around with Jeffrey Epstein and girls called uh, Cindy and Mindy and Lindy, uh, because that's the only two categories there are on the Lolita Express. There's big-shot American Democrat politicians (laughs) and then girls with rhyming names. (laughs) (laughs) And... uh, and the only, but the only two people who are in any legal jeopardy in in this business turn out to be two British subjects, Gilead Maxwell and uh, the Duke of York. That's hmm, hmm. hmm. <laughs> it's almost hmm. Oh, look, we don't want to let's we don't want people to focus on what Bill Clinton and George Mitchell and Bill Richardson are. Is there anyone? Well, there's a couple of snooty, uh, hoity-toity Brit foreigners. No one likes them. Let's get them in. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what a great defense. I love it. Okay, Mark, I read something and I instantly thought about you when I saw this story. And especially now that you're saying this hockey stick, you know, you're going to have to explain this hockey stick thing to people. Can you do that real quick? What you're, well, what, what this is about? This whole when you say you're going on trial. Well, the, the, it's a guy called Michael Mann who, uh, 20 years ago, came up with what was really the uh, most important and best known scientific graph of the early 21st century, and it showed the climate for the last thousand years. It shows nothing happening. It's a complete flat line. Nothing happened between the year uh, 1000 and, like, 1907. And then in 1907, it was probably you. You got into your SUV and fried mm-hmm. the planet. And so and then suddenly the line shoots up. There's, there's, uh, there's James Golden driving around in his SUV. There's me driving around in an SUV. And suddenly the line goes up the top right-hand corner of the graph, and we're all going to fry. And it was a complete piece of rubbish. Uh, and I said as much. I mean, but a lot of governments, you, you know, the Canadian government and certain European governments emailed that graft to every one of their citizens and said, you got to, you know, the planet's going to die. This is why we're introducing a carbon tax. We're going to net zero. And I said I thought this was all complete bunk. And um, as a result, he's been suing me for 10 years. And we're finally going to trial. <laughs> I just love this. <laughs> and I... <laughs> And I'm I'm very uh, I ha- I have it in the back of my mind that the you know the unlikely the unlikable foreigner is one no, of the categories no. of persons that should never actually be in in, a, okay, th- in an American courtroom if he can help it. We we should organize. I think I'm going to try to organize people so we're outside with those signs and all that. Free the foreigner! Free the foreigner! <laughs> yeah, no, I'm. I'm, that's what I'm. That's what I'm. Uh, basically, I'm basically hoping for that uh, that that a you know a foreigner could get a fair break in a DC courtroom, which is because don't forget on that jury. I mean, that jury there'll be a jury of twelve, and it'll be 
11 Democrats and then a 12th guy from the even leftier socialist Marxist hardcore Stalinist party. But that's what it'll be. It'll be 11 Democrats and the 12th guy from the hardcore socialist Marxist Stalinist party. Maoist Kim Jong-un party. Okay, now, Mark, we have to take a break. Can you stay through the break? Because I got to ask you about uh, what's going on in Virginia and also Larry Fink from BlackRock. Can you stay with us? Yep, certainly. No problem. All right, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley. We're coming back. We're going to have segment two of Mark Stein today, and then your telephone calls, 800-848-WABC is how you reach us. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Now, here's the soul of excellence, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley, on 77 WABC. With... America's favorite undocumented anchorman, international figure, movies, television, radio, print. He's everywhere. He's Mark Stein, and Mark Stein is with us for a second segment. Mark, thank you. Mark, uh, BlackRock, Larry Fink is telling his fellow CEOs, BlackRock is a, a really big investment firm, and he's telling his fellow CEOs that businesses are not the climate police. This, to me, is stunning. We haven't seen this kind of just open talk about what business and, and share the role of shareholders, and, and he says shareholder capitalism isn't about politics. It's not a social or ideological agenda. It's not woke. No, it's it's not supposed to be about politics. I mean, I think genuinely, if you want to buy a piece of uh, furniture or a taco, you you don't really want politics to factor into it. Particularly these days, it'd be nice to have some spaces that are politics free. But the, the fact is that uh, so many of the corporations have gone in for the virtue signal. Actually, one of my favorite, I shouldn't say this, because uh, Fifth, Fifth Avenue was very badly uh, hit by this during all the George Floyd things. Remember where all the, they all made their uh, websites all black. Except, yes. And then in 12-point Times New Roman in the middle of the black website, it, they had hashtag BLM. And they still got all their windows smashed in on Fifth Avenue anyway. So it was a complete waste of time doing the virtue signaling. But the serious point here is he's quite right that uh, uh, some CEO of a company shouldn't be factoring in um, a particular political policies on climate change or whatever. But what's interesting to me from the consumer's point of view I mean, it's a nice contrast, for example, to the NBA guy who said a couple of days ago that no one cares about the Uyghurs um, because he's they say, oh, yes, we'd like to do some political virtue signaling, but not on anything that matters. So we're going to. So the woke CEO says, oh, yes, I'm I'm all I'm very worried about climate change and there's nothing more important to me. Uh, than uh, than rising sea levels in the Maldives in the year 2230. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I don't, I couldn't care two wits about 
uh, Chairman Xi in China killing all the Uyghurs <laughs> because I have to kiss <coughs> up to Chairman Xi because that's a huge market for me. And it's, it isn't even actually just the guys who kiss up like these American uh, sports teams and Hollywood and all, almost everything that uh, an American buys that is affordable uh, is made in China and has had some slave labor uh, child labor involved in it somewhere along the way. Even if wow. it's just the people who make this, even if Nike say, no, 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 that was that was the day before yesterday. We've really cleaned up our act since then, and we're not using any of the child labor and the slave labor. The, the people who make uh, the sandwiches, who have the contract to make the sandwiches for that factory at lunchtime, there'll be some child labor involved there. So the biggest, you virtue signalers, because I'm so sick of this. It's grace on the cheap. You think, oh, yes, I'm a good person because I only support companies that worry about rising sea levels in uh, the Maldives in the 22nd century. Well, that's all very easy, isn't it? What are you going to do about child labor making all the cheap socks and T-shirts and footwear in your house right now? Man, <clears throat> do you think that this is going to resonate or is this just going to be uh, one voice in the wilderness? Well, I don't think anyone cares about. I think climate change is an elite thing that real because I think it's great if you're climate change is great if you're John Kerry or you're Leonardo DiCaprio and uh, you say, oh, where are we going to hold uh, COP27? Oh, uh, I was thinking of Tahiti. Really? Oh, I thought we did Tahiti a couple of uh, years back. Uh, what, what, uh, what about, why don't we do it in uh, Monte Carlo this time? I mean, it's just <laughs> like a, it's a complete racket for these guys. But if you're right now at the bottom, if you're go taking your car along uh, to put gas in your car, if you're thinking, well, my present washing machine is uh, getting, I wanted to go and get a new washing machine. So a waiting list to get a washing machine in America because of what Joe Biden's done to the supply chain. Do you think anybody who has to live a normal non-Leonardo de John Kerryo life is actually interested in this? And the answer is no. No. I am interested in what's going on in Virginia. I have never seen so much history. Well, yes, I have. It is reminiscent of when Donald Trump took office to a lesser degree. The hysteria surrounding Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin's inauguration in his first days in office. He came in with an active list of things he wanted to do, executive orders. One of them was getting rid of this critical race theory in schools, in the schools in Virginia, demanding that failing schools change. Uh, he also st spoke about uh, creating partnerships between um, historically black universities. That upset one Democrat lawmaker who went off the deep end. He's also looking at Loudoun County, wants to do an investigation what happened there. Uh, Virginia's attorney general fired 30 staffers before coming into office. They're cleaning up immediately. And the new governor in his first uh, speech said he's got about 29 pieces of legislation he's working on, and he wants to lower taxes, and he's, yes, he, he is pursuing a conservative mandate in Virginia, and the hysteria is already starting to skyrocket. What do you think, Mark, of what's happening in Virginia? 
Well, I think he's absolutely right to do it this way because he basically said from, you know, I could could give an inaugural address full of a lot of high-flown, wafty, gaseous, up-in-the-clouds, generalized blather, or I could just start announcing 45 seconds into it things that are going to happen starting right here, right now. And he's all business, and he's doing the stuff he, he was elected on, and he's quite right to do it. He's absolutely right to do it. And the interesting thing is, you know, Virginia was a red state 20 years ago, and then it changed. And the Republicans uh, at the national level assumed it was lost forever. Well, right now you have a totally crazy... I mean, what you have going on at the national level here is you've got a nation of uh, 330 million people being run by crazies who have no interest in the lives of those 330 million people. And there's an opening there. These aren't the issue. The things he's dealing with uh, shouldn't be issues at all. They're only issues because uh, the left handed them to him. The critical race theory is everyone thinks, you know, the the lefties all think, oh, this is nothing. They're just making a fuss about it. No, it gets to one of the awful realities of life in this country is that you can have red states and blue states, but red states are all full of blue school districts because those school districts have been corrupted by nonsense like critical race theory and all the rest of it. So you can have the reddest of red states... And then you have all these blue school districts all over it turning red state children into in, in, into blue state wokesters. He's, he's, he's above the target when he's doing this. We'll keep our eye on him. Mark Stein, thank you so much. Where can people find you, Mark, on television? Uh, they can find me at uh, GB News uh, tomorrow night. We're on. Well, actually, I think the best time is if you watch the replay, which is at 2 a.m. London time. So that's uh, 9 p.m. Uh, on the East Coast. Uh, so it's perfect for New Yorkers. And you can see that at uh, GBNews.uk. Mark, thank you so much. We look forward to chatting up with you next week, my friend. Always a pleasure, James. WABC Talk Radio 77, James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley. We're coming back. Your telephone call's coming up. Don't go anywhere. Welcome to the golden age of radio. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley, is on 77 WABC. Ah, yes, ladies and gentlemen, it is Monday. No, it's not. It's Tuesday. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Anyway, it's one less bell to answer. Marilyn McCoo, the fifth dimension. Uh, Bring us back. Ah, one of the beautiful voices of that era. Yes, those were the days when it was okay for women to cry when their man was gone. Instead of just saying, well, I'm glad he's gone. Who needs him anyway? Who needs men? You know, that was back in the days when, you know, men, it was understood that men were supposed to romance women. 
and put them on pedestals, and it was quite lovely and quite okay. And 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 when men left, that sometimes there'd be like heartbreak instead of like who needs men, which is what today's romantic scene has uh, said, if you can call it that. You know, I was amazed over the weekend all these stories about Kim, what's her name, and um, and Kanye, and and the birthday parties, and the this, the that, the other. It's just like, would you people? Why is all of this a, such a public spectacle? Who? Anyway, let's go to the phones. Rich, where are we headed? All right. Good afternoon, James. Let us begin in Greenwood Lake and say hi to Jim. Jim, welcome to WABC Talk Radio 77. How are you this afternoon? I'm doing well, Mr. Sterling. Thank you. It's been like 20 years since we spoke when I called in for Taraj, but I thank you for being there. Thank you, my friend. What is on your mind today, Jim? Well, when you were talking about the homeless, you know, I was a... New York City Police Department sergeant, then a lieutenant, a police officer, of course. And it was almost 30 years ago now. I was on 165th Street in Washington Avenue in the South Bronx. And we got this call for this abandoned children. And there were five children. The oldest was 12. The youngest was like four. And we showed up, and it was this blank apartment with nothing. We knocked on the door. It fell down. And, you know, being young... I was really pissed off and like, I'm going to, we're going to lock her up. And then, you know, we got a hold of the mother and she was, it was a Saturday night in like June. She was at church and, you know, she was, you know, limited mental capacity, but her kids weren't starving. And I spent the whole night then as a sergeant on the phone, getting social services, everybody involved. And, then that was it. We got everybody placed. We contacted an aunt of hers, and that she took custody until we can get everything straightened out. And then months later, you know, people in the precinct, this woman's looking for me. Who is she? And she came back, and she it was like the end of July of August, and she thanked me. Wow. And my my point being that, you know, she was a, lim- a woman of limited resources mentally, and we got her placed. All the social services were there. I'm talking over 30 years ago. I often wonder about those children, and, like, now they'd be, like, in their 40s or 30, late 30s or 40s. And what I'm suggesting is that all this talk about keeping people on the street and everything, they need help. My experience over 22 years in the police department uh, was that anybody on the street either has mental health issues or drug issues, and they need help, and they need to be guided and not just left out there, and that was my point. Well, Jim, you're making an amazing point, Jim. Look, this goes to what I said in the opening monologue. We Look, if we're ever going to have a safe and secure society, we have to help these people, and we have to address this as a real need. We cannot just continue to ignore the the number of people, and we are talking now across the country, we may be talking millions of people who are in mental distress. And this is not a political issue. This goes beyond politics. This is an issue of humanity. These people need help, and they need help desperately. And your case, 
points out, number one, when society does have the resources available and people who know how to employ them, it can work. But two things were needed. You actually took matters into your own hands and saw that they got the services they needed. We need people like you in our system, but the resources also have to be there. So you just made an amazing point. It's a great story, Jim. Thank you. And I hope that this contributes to a furthering conversation on this. Where are we going next, Rich? We're going to head out to sunny California in L.A. and say hi to David. And let's go to Los Angeles. Hi, David, in Los Angeles. Welcome WABC with James Golden. We're going to continue with the discussion of the mental health crisis in New York City. Okay. All New York. The city is the worst place if you're mentally ill and have psychotic problems with all the energy, people, noise, traffic, and then you never get a chance to lay down in a bed. Uh, and the problem is, though, James, I'm not very optimistic for the future because the state cannot fix this crisis. So many beds have been cut. There's not enough staff. And you don't get real treatment. Here's the treatment you get at these hospitals. Uh, here, take these meds. Are you having harmful thoughts? Do you want to harm anybody else? Okay, I'll see you in three days. And uh, I, I, I just so so I think you're not getting the Tony Robbins. David, treatment. what has to happen if we if if we if we're going to do this right and fix this? What has to happen? I believe it's going to have to come down to privatization. Some billionaires are going to have to step up and privatize the industry where it could be done properly. The government, the state, they don't, it's never going to work. The, 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 the quality is not there. And so it will have to be far out of New York City. You're going to have to build some real institutions where they get real quality treatment. And everybody knows things in the private sector get done better. Wow. Um, David, are you in the mental health industry? Um, I live in Los Angeles, and I used to live in Venice Beach. And oh boy, a lot of activism. I've done a lot of activism, and I'm very aware. You know, sleep deprivation cannot be underestimated as far as contributing to the problem. Thank you, David. Appreciate the call. Where do we go next, Rich? Let's head over to Jersey and speak with Kyle. Kyle, welcome WABC Talk Radio seventy seven. What's on your mind? Hello, Kyle. Going once, Kyle. Twice. Three times. Where do we go next, Rich? We're going to head out to Coney Island and speak with Louie. Louie, welcome. WABC Talk Radio 77. What's up? I thank you very much for taking my call. You know, it's mind-boggling that no one in the city government or the state government has um, uh, conducted an investigation into Thrive New York, uh, Shirley McCrane's program that squandered a, a billion dollars. I'm calling for Preet Pahara to come out of retirement and start an investigation. Because the only person I heard talk about it was Curtis Sliwa, who would have made a great mayor. But, of course, we know what happened. And I, what do you think about that idea? Well, <clears throat> number one, I have no faith in Preet Pahara. He's a anti-Trump, flaming anti-Trump hating liberal. In fact, Alvin Bragg has uh, called on Preet to help give him advice to help sell this nonsensical program of uh, of of, judici- of justice reform that he's spreading through the city to let even more people out. So I don't have any confidence in him per se at all. But I do think, and I've talked about the Cheryl McRae squandering of all these millions of dollars, and there's no accountability for it. And, folks, this is exactly what I mean. We have these mentally ill people on the streets pushing other people into 
trains to their deaths. We have in this city and around this country resources to address this. And when it is squandered, when you have all these millions of dollars gone, like with the case of the ex-mayor's wife, where is the accountability? And, Louis, from that, I'm, I'm, you and I are on the same page there. There has to be accountability. And Curtis, yes, has brought this up over and over again, but still nothing. And if Mayor Adams wants to really do his job as mayor, he will find an accounting of this money and tell New Yorkers what happened, among other things. Where do we go next? Let's head up to Westchester and speak with Judy. Judy, welcome. WABC Talk Radio 77. James, how are you? Good, Um, thank you. Yeah, listen, I worked for 20 years for the state on a psychiatric mobile crisis team um, up here in Westchester. And then after that, I worked for the Mental Health Association on an ACT team. You have those teams in the city, the city of New York, because these were state programs. One, the one, the mobile team went out to do emergency assessment because th- these teams were set up where you were, we were supposed to follow all the people that the patients that had been released from the hospital. Um, and uh, and so that was how it worked because of the ele- way that. Well, the j- if we have all these programs in place, why are we seeing so many of these people? Go ahead. That's the question. Who is the, what is the city doing? I know a psychiatrist that worked on your mobile psychiatric team, and it's set up so that you can hold people past the three days and have them not, hospitals, just not turn them over. You know, the paperwork is there legally, it could be done, although your courts may be backed up because you have to uh, take them to court. And then you've got Riley. You've got Riley, which really, you know, is where people that have committed some type of infraction uh, or crime, they and they have a mental illness, they would go to the appropriate center. You know, Judy, I think, th- Judy, first of all, thank you for the call, my darling. I think most people believe that this system is broken, and the evidence of it is what they're seeing happen in the streets of their city. Something is wrong here, and it's wrong on a massive scale. And there are massive amounts of people who need help who are not getting the help. And I don't think that that, that perception is, is, is an invalid perception. I think that's what's really happening here. Do we have time for one more? Sure. Let's head up to Orange County and say hi to George. Hi, George. Welcome. WABC Talk Radio 77. Always an honor, sir. Spectacular calls today. I don't know how somebody from Venice and Los Angeles can get on your show and insult all the healthcare professionals here in New York State. But part of the problem with the bail scenario is the first thing they do when the people come into the system is they detox and you sober them up and you get them clean. In that capacity that I served in the Orange County Jail, I stopped two suicides. And these people are so lost, the only sense of direction they have is if they commit crimes, they got a place to stay. they got a room to stay. They get meds on a regular basis. That's the only hope they have in their lives. And it is a tragedy that we see on the streets. But these people, their only way of getting help is getting involved in the system. If you look at all, as you said earlier in the program, all these television programs you see about the 
you know. Yeah, the locked up, the people behind bars, yeah. Great. But they have a producer, a director, an agenda that they're going to go through. They don't show you somebody who is actually going through the system, is getting cleaned up, and is given a chance to move forward. Some of these people, they would rather have a lifestyle that they sit in a room, they get things brought to them, they have to clean up a room, and they get their meds two, three times a day. The, the real line behind, and to go to as a person that knows Queens County as well, is the real Hey, George, I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off here, buddy. What an amazing call this so far. And we, look, we're going to continue this discussion. So I want you to call back and add to it. Uh, folks, we've got to go. We've had a wonderful hour. Mark Stein. Tomorrow we're going to talk about the new podcast series that we began today on the border. <clears throat> we had Todd Benzman from the Center for Immigration Studies on with us. That podcast series is going to start soon. Listen, James Golden with you here, and I'll be back tomorrow. New York strong. We are the greatest city in the world, in America, the greatest nation humanity has ever witnessed.